This is Roger Green, host of the Surfing the National Tsunami podcast. This weekend, we are offering five conversations from Season 3, Episode 36, our review of the July 7 Intercept Pharmaceuticals press release announcing the newly compiled data for opiatocolic acid, or OCA, in the treatment of Nash fibrosis. This update includes a reanalysis of efficacy data and a much larger patient pool for analysis of safety data, including almost 1,000 patients who have been taking OCA for four years. It also announces Intercept's intention to file a revised new drug application later this year. This conversation looks at the efficacy analysis and the updated Regenerate data. In the press release, Intercept reports that OCA 25 milligrams has met its agreed-upon primary endpoint of improvement of liver fibrosis without worsening of NASH over 18 months, and that it succeeds in achieving this endpoint at better than double the rate of placebo. Conversation starts with Stephen Harrison noting the actual numbers, 22.4% meeting the primary endpoint in the OCA 25 milligram group versus 9.6% in the placebo group. Stephen notes that this represents a slight improvement over the numbers in the previous analysis, even though both analyses relied on exactly the same data. The rest of the conversation has Stephen, Jorn Schottenberg, Louise Campbell, and me sorting out the implication of these results for patients, physicians, and other stakeholders. Stephen concludes this portion by noting that these results should help dispel widespread skepticism as to whether any NASH drug can achieve an FDA's efficacy standard for approval. With this new press release comes the realistic possibility that the fatty liver community might find ourselves with not one, but two approved medicines by the end of 2023. This would be a remarkable step forward that would create market interest, drive funding for drug development and provider education, and generally create a new, much brighter environment for NAFL diagnosis, treatment, and management. So sit back, listen, enjoy, learn, and when you're done, join the dialogue on our LinkedIn discussion group. Why don't we just get started? This podcast, actually, the first time it started showing up two years ago on charts of how many listeners people get was the week that FDA issued the original complete response letter in response to the Regenerate data, which is about two years ago, or actually last week, it was right at the end of June. Two years later, like clockwork, here we go with it. Stephen had been talking about this a couple of months ago, that they've been relooking the data and they've got had people on it for over four years and all the things that were in the press release. And I guess the real question is, they've put this data out, so what's new and what do we think it means? We're fortunate to have Stephen with us today, because actually there's no one I'd rather have answered that question if I only had one person answer it. So Stephen, why don't you walk us through a little bit what's in the press release, and then we'll stop as we go along and talk about what it means. Stephen Harrison. Sure. As we highlighted along the way in one podcast, there were a couple potential drivers of where the Nash field was going to go in 2022 and beyond. And one of the drivers that we highlighted was a potential for obetacolic acid to come back into play and be in the news and be a potential driver or at least provide some horsepower to the engine of drug development in Nash as we move forward. So, With that being said, on July the 7th, 2022, Intercept pressed that they announced positive data in fibrosis due to NASH from a new analysis of its phase three regenerate study of abetacolic acid. And there were four top line bullet points that Intercept wanted to make. And I'm just going to read them and then we'll talk about specifically some of the data. Number one, the 25 milligram dose of abetacolic acid met the agreed primary endpoint of improvement in liver fibrosis without worsening of NASH at 18 months. And the p-value was highly significant. It was less than 0.0001. For those of you that aren't counting, that's three zeros and a one. And that was consistent with the original regenerate analysis. Now, I'll get into that in a minute. Point 
2. The 25 milligram dose of abetacolic acid demonstrated double the response rate in reduction of liver fibrosis without worsening of NASH versus placebo. We'll get into that in a minute. Number three, this data set includes larger and more robust safety database of 2,477 patients with nearly 1,000 on study drug for four years. Number four, intercept to resubmit a new drug application. So they're going to refile an NDA in liver fibrosis due to NASH. A pre-submission meeting with the FDA is scheduled later this month. So there you have it. That's their main bullet points. Now, just to dive into this a little bit, and then I want to, maybe we'll um, we'll take this section by section. The first one is this idea that the 25 milligram, the high dose of abetacolic acid, met the primary endpoint, and they say consistent with the original Regenerate analysis. Now, here, they did a new interim analysis of the intention-to-treat population from Regenerate. This was the 931 patients originally submitted underwent a new interim analysis. And I'll talk about what that means in a minute. But now, 22.4% of the OCA 25 milligram cohort met the primary endpoint of at least one stage improvement in fibrosis without worsening of NASH at month 18 on liver biopsy compared to 9.6% of subjects on placebo. Now, if you remember back to the original data that was submitted, that 22.4% is not far off from the top end of 25. I think it was like 23% or something like that. And we can dig into the specifics, Roger. You may know them off the top of your head. But what happened was the placebo response rate went down a bit on reanalysis, 9.6%, giving you about a 1%, maybe a little more, increased treatment effect delta when this data was reanalyzed. Now, what was done different? Well, the population in this new interim analysis, that 931 patients, mirrored the original analysis population from 2019, but they used a different approach to read the histology. So instead of relying on two readers reading half of the data each independently. And now they used a consensus panel approach. And they're very quick to point out that this was this new consensus panel approach was in line with recent FDA guidance. So here, they didn't just take the word of one reader. They had to be consensus on what the results were. And we'll talk about that more in a minute. And Ultimately, the data is the data. A numerically greater proportion of individuals also had improvement in NASH resolution, but consistent with the original analysis, it didn't reach StatSig here either. However, you only had to have one or the other to meet the primary endpoint. It wasn't a co-primary. Co-primary means you have to hit both. It was just a dual primary, meaning you had to have one or the other. And in this case, they hit fibrosis with a treatment effect delta that, I mean, let's be honest, it's really about the same as before, you know, one or at most maybe two percentage points better, mainly driven by a lower placebo response rate. So let me stop there and let's have a discussion about this because does that in your mind, again, understanding the therapeutic index of a drug 
is driven by its efficacy. But as we learn from the original complete response letter and from many other drugs that the FDA has evaluated, that safety and tolerability are critically important here as well and play a big role in the therapeutic index. So all I want to focus on here is not safety and tolerability for the purpose of this initial point. It's just efficacy. And I want to get your perspective on this. Does this really change our perception of OCA in NASH, for one? Number two, does this change our perception of this drug as a driver of the field in drug development for NASH? And and I'll hold my comments till I hear from everybody else, but maybe I'll open the the floor up to discussion on this point. Since I'm always the one who says brave one go first, uh, except when we're doing uh, International NASH Day and Jeff McIntyre is moderating, I never get to say, okay, I'll be brave. I'll be brave. Stephen, I think it's exactly the right question on the efficacy side. And to me, the answer is nothing changed. They had stat sig at the higher dose last time. They have it this time. It was in the low 20s last time low 20s this time. I was struck that placebo dropped a little bit. I'm mindful of the idea that came out of the Q ballooning work that you get people who consistently overread and underread. And my hypothesis has always been that if you go to consensus and you do it right, overreading is what's going to filter out. And that appears to be, well, not that there was a lot of overreading here, but that appears to be what happened here. Placebo went down, product held about where it was. I didn't see any change on the efficacy side of the equation from where we were a couple of years ago, number one. But number two, I don't think that this makes FXR a major reference for drug development around it, in part because it's not going to have three years in the market on its own, which it would have in the first place, and in part because we're now looking at a lot of drugs that appear to have better effect than quicker. So it may have a place, it may have value, but I don't think we're going to see people rushing out to figure out how to be the second drug in behind OCA. Uh, that that commercially wouldn't make any sense to me. Sure. Jarn Schottenberg. Let me follow up. I, I think this is a groundbreaking study for me. It was published in The Lance in December 2019. It was the first phase three trial that showed that we can meet the primary endpoint of significant reduction in fibrosis compared to placebo in 18 months with paired biopsies. So this is, I think Zobair called it a watershed moment. It's for sure the first phase three trial that was positive. And looking at the numbers, I agree it's the same effect size, but in the end, it's uh, significant at that time frame. And as such, it reminds us that FXRs do have, according to this data, an effect here in NASH in being able to improve fibrosis. And I think it'll be important to discuss what was different in the type of reading that was applied here. And I, uh, from my understanding, what's been written in the press release is that it's a little closer to what regulators would suggest on how to do it. But I think you have more insight on that, Stephen, in a moment. I think uh, for the company, there's been a lot of talking about, well, it's only 11% uh, difference delta. It's not much higher in this type of reading. I, I'm not so disappointed by the absolute difference between placebo, but it's the fact that it was actually a positive trial that still makes me say this is very important for them. Louise Campbell. Yeah, and I think I'll echo what um, Jean said there, but I think there's also the aspect that if you look at it, yes, it hasn't changed too much, but we're two years down the line. If we approve it on this marginal difference, did we miss an opportunity two years ago to affect people's lives positively by putting this drug through to patients? And this has been the concern. It was the concern, I think, when we discussed it with Donna, that it was disappointing that they were asking for more. They ha- now have more, arguably just a little bit more. However, that two years, has it really changed the ball game too much? But it will probably get approval on that. So we are 
talking about minuscule alterations, but that's a lot of people that were affected negatively in this past two years and whilst we wait for this approval to come through. So before we go talk to approval, and I think you're addressing the most important part that's actually in that press release that we haven't discussed, and I think Stephen's going to follow up on that. There is significantly more data on safety now, and I think that's the real game changer here in this press release, and we'll get to that in a moment, I think. Yeah, yeah, we'll get there. Uh, let me just, I reserve my comments until I wanted to hear yours, and I think they're all they're all very important. But let me just footstomp what Jorn said. I do think this is a watershed moment that is kind of reinvigorated from two years ago in this regard. There has been a lot of consternation in the field that the FDA has set a bar that is, quote unquote, a moving target. The goalpost move. It's too hard to hit. It can't be done. Well, reading histopathology two distinctly different ways, obeta-colic acid and intercept have shown that it can be done again. So I think this should put to bed the notion that the endpoint, at least of fibrosis improvement, is a bridge too far. It, it's a hurdle that's too big. It can't be done. Yes, it can be done. And now back to Roger. We hope you've enjoyed this recording. If you have any questions or comments about the content of this conversation or the entire episode, please send an email to questions at surfingnash.com. We'll be back next week with a new episode of Surfing Nash Tsunami to drop on Wednesday, July 20th. Please join us. Until then, stay safe, surf on. We'll see you on the podcast. Bye-bye now. <laughs>